we have John the Baptist uh, proclaiming the way. So uh, Matthew, the first book of the, of the New Testament, chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Our uh, memory verse uh, that we'd like to, to concentrate on over uh, Advent is Isaiah 9, 6. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be, shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Over the last months, we've been in the book of Ruth. If you didn't know that already, we've taken several months, to, or a couple months to go, go through that. And uh, as Josh said at the very beginning, Ruth was uh, written in the time of the judges. In the last part of the, or the last verse, uh, Judges 21, 25 says, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. We learned of Elimelech and Naomi, who traveled to Moab during a 10-year period of famine, and they found wives, Orpah and Ruth, and for their sons in that foreign land. It was a land that was far from that which had been promised to them uh, by the God of Israel, the one true God. We learned about how Elimelech and his two sons died, leaving Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth destitute, uh, widowed, uh, without any resources in a foreign land. We read about how Naomi returned to the promised land, and uh, Orpah stayed with her country and with, with, uh, with her countrymen and uh, what was comfortable. But Ruth uh, returned. Uh, she turned away from her homeland. She turned away from its gods, from its practices, again, from its comforts, from her own family, and followed Naomi into Israel. And in Ruth 1, we, uh, we hear the famous words, uh, do not urge me to leave you from, or to turn from following you. For where you will go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Now in the world's eyes, there was very little that Naomi could offer Ruth that would make her want to follow uh, her to leave everything that was familiar, everything that was normal uh, for her. Naomi couldn't promise wealth, and on the contrary, she had nothing. You know, nothing passed down in that society to the, the wife, so she had nothing in the way of wealth. She couldn't offer a new husband. Uh, she said that at the very beginning. You know, she was old, and even if she wasn't, there wasn't time for her to raise another husband for her. She was returning as a pauper. She was dependent on charity, and it, she was an invisible, she was a marginalized woman, and she was offering Ruth the same, I mean, really offering her the same life that we see of uh, some of the homeless 
in our own community. And Naomi wasn't even pleasant to be around. Right? If we, we read the beginning of, uh, of Ruth, she says literally that I'm, she's bitter. Right? She says, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. And that, that means bitter, for the Lord, or for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord brought me back empty. Does that sound like anyone that you'd want to spend some time with? Um, Maybe you've got that coming up over the holiday uh, season uh, there. She's not encouraging. She's not energetic. She's not a can-do person. She's not anyone that you would want to spend time with that, that, would, that would build you up. She's, she's that person where you say, oh, we've got to go over to Naomi's house again and hear her talk about her sciatica. Um, <laughs> yet somehow with all that bitterness, all that... All, all, all that sadness, all, and, and none of the good things to share, Ruth felt led to be with her. Ruth was drawn to her. You know, Naomi reminds me a lot about a time in uh, my life, uh, in, in our life as a, as a couple, Martha and I, where we were bitter, um, uh, where maybe we really acted a lot like Naomi. Uh, we were... Uh, uh, we had gone through some, some terrible tragedies. We'd lost uh, uh, good friends. Uh, we'd lost uh, Martha's brother. We'd been going through uh, um, a long time of infertility uh, and uh, even miscarriage. It was a really awful time in our lives, and we just internalized it all. And we, uh, we, we were very self-centered. We were bitter. We were angry at God. We were no fun to be around. It was an awful time. And we had, at that time, uh, even as uh, sort of towards the end of that, as God was sort of bringing us out, we just were not what I would call a good witness. We were not the type of people where they'd say, man, those people have got it all together. I want to go and learn what they've got. You know, that's what we say about lifestyle evangelism, right? We're going to live our lives with so much hope for God that people are going to go, man, what do those people have? That is not what we were doing at all. We were in a, a place where I honestly think people would say, man, we got to go over the Testament's house again. They are just not happy people. Um, when we looked back on that year, it's got, God just was doing amazing things through that time, and, they, and he really brought us out of the pit in that year. But we looked back at that year, and we were embarrassed. We were sorrowful. We, we lamented the, waste, uh, the wasted time. We, in that year, we had been with, uh, in very close contact with a lot of, uh, of younger people, a lot of people that needed Jesus, and we just didn't show it to them. But even though our witness had been so awful, uh, several years later, we get a, a card in the mail. It was from people that we'd only known during that time. We hadn't really interacted with them since. We'd seen them once. Uh, after that year. This was several years later. And in the card, they just said, we wanted you guys to know that you are one of the main reasons that we are following Christ today. <laughs> and Martha and I, we read it, we laughed, we're like, what did they see? <laughs> because there's, again, we just didn't see what, what there was in that. But somehow, God redeemed what we believed was unredeemable. 
You know, in, in that story and so many others we see in Scripture, we see in, in life today, uh, God redeems the unredeemable. It's a theme, again, that's repeated all over. We see it you know, in the very first verses of, 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 uh, of this Bible, the very first verse, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, this is, he created it well. If, if you go down a few verses later to, to verse 31, I mean, he, he says, and God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. God made a really good world, and then, of course, we screwed it up, right? A little bit later, we see uh, another time of, of, of famine where, where uh, God's people are, are hurting. Uh, but before that, we, we see uh, the, the story of, of Jacob where, where his brothers uh, throw him into a well you know, and, and then plan to kill him, but then decide they'll, they'll take it easy on him and just sell him into slavery. Right? But there's very little be, to be redeemed about that. But, but I'm sorry, not Jacob, Joseph. Um, and, and Joseph though later on becomes, uh, ends up in a, uh, in a place of power. And God actually uses that treachery not just to save those same brothers that committed it, but to save the very nation of Israel, the first family of, e- uh, of Israel. He says uh, it, at the end of Genesis, for as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about uh, that many people should be kept alive as they are today. We've seen it in the past months as we've studied God's Word and how, how God took Naomi and Re- Ruth from the pit of despair and redeemed them, literally redeemed them through Boaz. We've seen it in our own midst, how, how God has, has taken uh, uh, widows and, and called them not just to lean on His shoulder, but actually to, to, to rest in His arms, to fall into them. We see it how, how God has worked miraculously in supposedly incurable diseases and healed them. And then we've seen times where God has chosen to act differently and has made himself glorified, has redeemed the moment, even as people go through the most awful sicknesses uh, and even into the death of his saints. We've seen it through people who have found hope when dealing with addictions that they would call hopeless, that they thought there was no way they could see light, and they have. We've seen it as God has used grieving parents to minister to others. We've seen it in restored relationships, nine, ten years of no contact, and God has somehow redeemed it. We've seen it in our missionaries who have endured hardship, some that we saw a couple weeks ago who have literally endured invasion, you know, attack, arson, uh, and, and have come back and, uh, and, and praised God and uh, found ways to, uh, that God has redeemed that. And we see it as we read through the Bible in, uh, in, in phrases so like, it just so happened, or behold, or but God. And what we've seen is that when God sends his messengers into a dark world, a, a world full of rebelliousness, of hopelessness, uh, that we would call unredeemable, he sends them in to say things like John the Baptist did. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Prepare the way of the Lord. And what we see through this, this is, and this is really the Christmas story that we're celebrating in Advent, anticipating in Advent, is that God is glorified when he redeems what we think is unredeemable. 
This is the truth of the gospel message. We have destroyed our relationship with God by rebelling against his true, perfect love. That that rift is impossible uh, for us. We do not have the power to redeem it. But God, that's the punchline of the gospel. But God, again, it starts at the very beginning of here when, when, she, when God says uh, through his scripture, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And later on he says that it was very good. It was very good because it was created by a perfectly thoroughly good God. He created humankind to walk with him. As, Jesus, or as, as Josh was saying earlier, you know, to walk in the cool of the day, to, to, to be in relationship with him. But even though God created us to be in relationship, he didn't want to be worshiped out of compulsion. So he allowed us to make some choices. And of course, given the choice between walking with the perfect God who loved us perfectly and following the lusts of our eyes and the lusts of the flesh and the pride of life we chose that latter choice and it ruined everything it it was rebellion against god and his perfect holy love this continues throughout history throughout the time of of noah where we we read that the earth was corrupt in god's sight it was filled with violence all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth we see it through the time of Exodus when the people that God had actually saved from persecution were rebelling against him, were groaning against him. We saw it through the time of the kings when many people did evil in the sight of the Lord. Before that, again, when the judges, when everyone did what was right in their own ways, which, or in their own eyes, which we know was not right. And we see it so on and so on throughout history, not just in, from, from the time of the Bible, uh, but in our time today. The Bible tells us today that in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we are part of that all who have sinned. Whether it's sins of commission, the things that we have done, sins of omission, the things that we should have done that we haven't done, we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of what God has commanded us to. And because of that, we've fallen short of the glory of God. And though God loves us, and again, he created us to be in that relationship with him, there are penalties to that sin. That rebellion has condemned us. In Romans 6, 23, it says the wages of sin is death, an eternal death, an eternal separation from that God who loves us. So again, that first point is, is that we have destroyed that relationship with God by rebelling against his perfect and his holy love. But that's not the worst of it. The worst of it is that we can't fix it. We can't just go back and say, I'm sorry and everything's better because we've, we've become unholy and God is holy and we can't put that together. It's not like a dented fender that we can uh, repair. It's not a fence we can mend. It's not a hole we can patch. It's not even a, like a broken bone <laughs> that we can, we can set in a cast uh, and, and heal that way or bandage a wound because God is holy. He is perfectly holy, unblemished, undefiled, as we read in 1 Peter, perfectly holy in that he is perfectly just and perfectly righteous also, and we are not. It's not a matter of of us being just separated by, uh, 
from his holiness by a fence that we could jump over or a, a, or a, uh, uh, a height that we need to climb a ladder on. I had a friend that used to say, it, it's like if you were a, uh, uh, just an average swimmer, and I'm a below average swimmer, and someone was to say, uh, um, swim across uh, the, the Atlantic Ocean, uh, that, that's all you need to do to redeem yourself. Well, I couldn't do it. But you know what? If I was an Olympic swimmer, I couldn't do it either. You know, or, or to say, jump across the, the Grand Canyon. I can't do that. I'm not very good at jumping. But you know what? The, the best Olympic pole vaulter couldn't do it either. There's nothing we can do to redeem that. God tells us through Scripture this. He says, our righteous deeds, in Isaiah, our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. Paul says in Romans, to all, both Jews and Gentiles, are under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. So this is the predicament of the world. We've ruined the relationship through our sins. There's nothing in our power to repair or redeem that. We have become the very definition of unredeemable. You know, like Naomi, but, but, but worse. It's what Paul laments of, right? In, in Romans uh, chapter 7, we go to, go to that. And if this sounds like an old-fashioned gospel sermon, it is because this is the story of Advent. This is the story of Christmas. In Romans chapter 7, Verse, verse 21, See, so I find it to be a law that whenever I want to do right, evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law of God. It is in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. This is Paul. This is a guy that wrote a good portion of the, of the New Testament who's saying that he can't beat sin himself making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? When we come to the realization of this predicament, we might echo Naomi saying, call me bitter for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord brought me back empty. We might cry out like Isaiah who said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell with a people of unclean lips. We might humble ourselves like Job, who says, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? He's talking to God. He says, I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once. I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. We might even react as Jesus' own disciples did. When they heard his teaching and they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? This is the climax of the story that Advent is bringing us to, to anticipate as we, as we move toward Christmas. It's a central bit of the beginning of the gospel uh, story. It's when God says, behold. <clears throat> it's when we say, this is hopeless. This is too much for us to bear. This is unredeemable. And God says, but God. Because when the disciples saw the hopelessness of our predicament and asked, who then can be saved? 
Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. This is the story of Christmas. We sinned. We cannot fix what we broke. We cannot save our God, ourselves, but God. 1 John 4.10 says, In this, the love of God was manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world that we might live through Him. See, Christmas isn't just about trees. It's not about trees. Christmas isn't about carols. It isn't about presents wrapped in papers. It's not about Mary and Joseph. It's not about Bethlehem. It's not about the inn. It's not about the manger. It's not about Herod or the Magi. It's not about the shepherds. It's not even about the angels. It's not about a baby coming into the world to show us how to be better people. Christmas is about God in the flesh coming into the world to save us from the fact that we cannot be good as God is good. It is about Emmanuel, God with us. It is about the King of Kings humbling himself beyond our comprehension, exposing himself to all the evil of this world in the, in the, with a divine intent of bearing sin, bearing our sin, the unbearable sin, paying the unpayable price, and then redeeming the unredeemable. The verse after 1 John 4.10, 1 John uh, 4.11 says, This is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation of our sins. See, in the midst of darkness, uh, of, hopeless, uh, unhopeless, of hopelessness, sorry, of unholiness, into the midst of fallen people in an apparently unredeemable world, God sent his light. God sent his hope. God sent his holiness to lift up the people and redeem that unredeemable creation. And so as John cries out in, in, in the gospel today, in the voice of the wilderness foretold by the prophet Isaiah, nearly 700 years before Christ's coming, he says, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. So this second Sunday of Advent, we prepare for the fulfillment of prophecy, the main act of the redemption story. As Paul says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. Hope spoken through the Psalms, a, a hope of a Messiah, the ruler of, of the kingdom of heaven, that he might judge with justice and righteousness, bear prosperity, defend the cause of the poor, the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. A refreshing rain on a parched earth. The one of whom Isaiah said in our memory verse again for Advent, for to us a child is born, to us a, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. A child born to us, a son given to us, the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace is the King of Kings who calls us to an, an inheritance that is unblemished or imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven 
for you who by God's power are being guarded for a, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this we rejoice because though we were lost in our sin, though we were unredeemable by our own power, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world would be saved through him. And so if you've not only believed in your mind, but accepted that saving message into your heart, if you've given up your striving for self-righteousness, and instead have fallen into the arms of the one true God who is righteousness, who is, is righteous, hear John's words the, as they're calling to you, as if they're calling to you directly, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Bear fruit in keeping with his repentance. And if you've not received that ultimate gift, the true gift of Christmas, forgiveness that was born in a manger, sacrificed on a cross, and redeemed in the resurrection, John's words are for you also. He says, repent. It means turn away from these things of the world. Turn away from the things you're trying to do. Turn away. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is imminent. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. God is calling to you through Scripture today, through this worship service, maybe through my words, but definitely through the Spirit that brought you here today. How are you going to respond to that call? How will you respond to the message of Christmas? To, no matter what you have done, no matter how unredeemable you think you are, behold, God loves you and sent His one and only Son to the earth to redeem the unredeemable and save you by bringing you back to relationship with Him. The passage uh, John the Baptist quoted from is in Isaiah chapter 40. We spent a lot of time in Isaiah uh, in the Advent season because it does point toward uh, Jesus. But Isaiah chapter 40, verse 5. It says, and the glory of, God, of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry, and, and I say, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Prepare the way of the Lord. Expect to see his glory as he redeems the unredeemable. As the angel said to the shepherds announcing Christ's birth, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall rest upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And again, in this we rejoice. Psalm 72, 19 says, Blessed be God, the Lord, the God of Israel, 
which alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. We're going to be uh, uh, having communion uh, this morning. And uh, uh, the message of communion is, is the same as this. It is God redeeming the unredeemable. Right? He's, he is uh, uh, saying, this is my body, this is my blood. It is sacrificed for you. Uh, and we say the new covenant. And the whole message, again, behind that new covenant is, uh, is God redeeming the unredeemable. So uh, let's have the men come up.